1: live multi Multispeed technology is the show that puts you the listener in the driver's seat because you are the content the phone lines are open to be a part of the program it's a free call 1-855-450-NOAA that's one 450 6624 give me a call we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah July. So good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show. Uh, Kicking off this hour, and just give me one second here. Uh, I'm just, uh, I had to get something uh, squared away with our uh, internet stream, but that should be up and running and and good to go. So, hey guys, uh, happy to be back with you. We have an exciting episode lined up. Again, phone lines are open 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Now, before we get started, I want to address uh, something that has been going on in the Telegram Ask Noah Show group. So if you don't know, there's an ongoing discussion. The Ask Noah Show runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week at Telegram.AskNoahShow.com. If you're not there, you can join us and become a part of the ongoing discussion. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting in the Ask Noah uh, Telegram group. We're having a discussion. And I said... um, Hey that's really cool we hit you know i don't know what it was like 450 members or something i think that's really terrific and i learned a long time ago that it's sometimes a small tight group of really a class personalities is is better than a, a gigantic group of of uh, of of a mix and uh, and so I, I you know i didn't really care I, it was never really a thing where i was like well we have to grow the group to this much but I just thought that was cool that we had 450 people, and and every I can I can safely say that all 450 of those people really actively contributed to the conversation and and help each other out, and it's become kind of an ongoing tech support group and a and a tech discussion, and I'm really proud of the community we've built in there. Uh, we virtually had no problems, and um and so somebody said, wouldn't it be cool if we got to 512 users? And I'm like, there's no way we're gonna get to 512. You you guys are silly. We can't get to 512 users. And they're like, "No, we we think we could." I mean, the, the community is growing. We'll definitely get there. And I'm like, "All right. Well, if we get to 512 users, I'll give $51.20 out to the whoever is number f- whoever joins the group at 512." And then I started to th- think about that, and I thought, "Well, that's not fair because Now, these 450 people who have been contributing, some of which, like, there's a core group of users that have been in there since before the Ask Noah show even launched, and have helped me design the show, and helped me with show episode ideas, and and build infrastructure around the show, and I thought, well, that's not fair. Well, we better give a bigger gift, we better give a a bigger gift away to everyone, and like, just pick somebody from the group, and give give that away. So, earlier this week, we, uh, Simon Quigley, um, who is instrumental in the Ask Noah show group. He actually is part of our team at Speed Technologies and, uh, and, and does a boatload of stuff there, but also helps us out with the Ask Noah show, everything from he's actually call screening today and, uh, and helps us out with a bunch of different projects. He wrote an open source project that use, utilizes the Telegram API and goes into Telegram and scrapes all of the users and watched for uh, the 512th person to join the group Flag that person for me, and then we run a. Uh, and then the the code can execute with the one flag executes and pulls the lets me know what the who the five hundred twelve person to join the group was. Another way to run the code, it goes and chooses the actual winner. So earlier this week, Terry Tate, TrueOS linebacker, won the fifty one dollar and twenty cent. Gift card. So a huge thanks to at Terry Tate, True OS linebacker. Even though you're a True OS guy, we love you, and we're really happy that you won the fifty-one dollar and twenty cent gift card. Get it five one two, and uh, and then to give away because we, we were are gonna do a bigger gift uh, a gift giveaway, but we <laughs> I, I couldn't just give like hundred dollars. That's weird, right? It has to be nerdy. So we had to give away a one hundred and twenty eight dollar gift card. And the winner of that gift card is user at Marty five zero zero five, Brian M. So we're going to tell Brian that uh, he is the winner of the one hundred and twenty eight dollar gift card. Let's get him on the phone. Hello. Hey, Brian. Hey, how's it going, Noah? Hey, pretty good. How are you? I'm I'm great. Hey, Brian.
2: Uh, hey. I, Sorry, go ahead. I love everything that you're doing with your shows, like the Ask Noah show. I am an avid listener. I'm, I absolutely love your program.
1: I'm so it's, thrilled.
2: It's an honor to talk to you.
1: Hi, that it's an honor to talk to you, Brian, and, I'm, and I tell you what, if you liked the show before, and I really thank you for the compliment, you're really going to like the show after today because you just won a $128 gift certificate to Amazon.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, you, oh, we, yeah, we did the drawing and you are the winner, sir. So I uh, I just wanted to call and let you know personally, if you could just uh, send me your uh, email address, uh, we have a conversation going on Telegram, you just shoot me your email address, I'll get it over to my team and they'll get that gift card sent out to you in just the, the next hour or so.
2: Holy cow! Uh, thank you. I'm. I i, I do not I. I don't know what to say. I'm yeah. Normally, a person that has a loss for words, but yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure what to say.
1: There you That's go. Really
2: nice, and I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I. I. I'm, I we're. We're very. Uh, we're very glad to do it, and we're really, really thankful that you are a part of the Ask Noah Show community, that you're participating in the Ask Noah Show group, and, and hanging out with us. That's. It's. It's. It means a lot to me. Uh, as a person, you know, because without people like you, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you for what you do, and uh, and buy something cool, and then give us a call and let us know what it is. Okay? Yeah, definitely. Outstanding. Have a great yeah, thank day. Thank you very much, Noah. Yes, sir. Have a great day, Brian. All
2: right. Holy cow! <laughs>
1: <laughs> Congratulations, Brian! We're happy that you won the one hundred twenty-eight dollar gift certificate. Now, if you are in the Asnoa Show Group and you didn't win the gift card, don't worry because more we're going to do more giveaways. That was too much fun. That was way too much fun to let let that just go as a one time thing. So we're going to have to do it again. But um, it, what we're going to do, I think, the next time, we're going to roll that out with like the next series of. Of cool things that that is coming for the Asno show we're looking at ways to expand the show different ways you can get the show and all of those things are coming up later in the hour now i want to get uh, we have a guest this hour uh a couple of weeks ago we talked about crypto miners running on a uh pe- people's vps getting hacked um and i had never actually heard of somebody's vps getting hacked and 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 having something happen to that and uh, and a viewer of the show reached out to me, and he's like, hey, hey, I've had this actually happen. Uh, and he works for a – I won't give the name of the company, but he works for a place where he has dealt with this, and we have him standing by. We're going to bring him on the show. I'm just going to go to the phones, and, uh, and we're going to get to the callers here first because, like I said, the Ask Noah Show callers go to the front of the line. Jared, Florida, you're on the Ask Noah Show. Hello.
2: Hey, Noah. How are you doing today?
1: Excellent. How can I help?
2: Yeah, well I actually had a question about um smart houses. So I hear you talk about the uh technology a lot with Raspberry Pis and I also hear you talk about return on investment. Yes. So uh my question was is because I live in Florida, you know, you gotta deal with a lot of power consumption in the summer. Um I was wondering if I um well see if, if I buy the uh smart house tech that is specifically targeted for power savings such as uh smart outlets, uh light bulbs, smart thermostats, that type of thing, um Am I going to actually see a return on investment, or is it going to be one of those things where it's like, yeah, oh, well, you just bought it, it makes your house cooler, but the amount of money you're saving doesn't really make up what you spent?
1: Yeah, you won't—there's you, no—the the return on investment is so far down the tubes, it's not—I mean, I haven't even come close. And, and you know, the thing is, like, e- even even if you start factoring in, like— credits for solar and and all that stuff you still you're never going to come close and you know so and you know we've gone we've talked about this a little bit on the Ask Noah show and we've gone back and forth about the various different kinds of light switches so certainly you know the one the light switches that I buy are very high quality very high end professional grade light switches they're not I, I call the um, all these new smart things I call them bad science projects because that's what they feel like to me but the um, but those the, the The really good ones, the professional grade commercial grade light switches they 're going to run upwards of a hundred dollars per switch, and so you know even if you set everything up to use the most green energy possible so that it like in my house it does it monitors when sunset is and monitors how much ambient light is coming in and then adjusts the you know the the lights inside accordingly and I have led and all of that stuff and it's still it's not i mean it 's not even close. Uh, and so, if you, and even if you drop down to like thirty dollars a light switch or twenty dollars a light switch, you're still. I, I mean, it's going to be years before you, before you reach that break-even point. Uh, so, I, I don't think anyone does a smart home f- from the standpoint of a return on investment because it's a good investment of money. It's just, it's just a nice thing to have. It's just nice to always have lights on in the house and never actually have to turn a light switch on or off. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does, and uh, that's why I figured. I just figured that if uh, anybody would sure probably.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate the call. I, you know, it's, it, it, we're, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the episode. How far do we really want to take technology? How far is too far? And in fact, later this week, uh, you're going to hear, if you, if you guys follow our other show, User Error, it's a show that comes out on Fridays. Lately, The Beard and I have, 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 uh, have done a couple episodes, and, uh, and we talk about that. How far is too far to take your technology? And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's show, because I it's it's funny how like when it rains, it pours like one conversation comes up about technology in the last week. And then I'm like, that's a little bit too far. And then another one comes up and then another one comes up and then another one comes up. And it's like pretty soon. It just it just gets crazy. Alex, Jamaica. That's cool. I don't know if we've taken a call from Jamaica. You're on the Ask Noah show. Hello. Hello, Noah. How are you doing? Excellent. Thanks for calling. How can we help? Um, yes. Um, so it's
0: my second time calling. Um, and basically at the last time I called, I was just giving you an update. Um, how we in the Caribbean are using open source technology. Oh yeah. This is just another one of those updates. Please. Yeah. Let, yeah.
1: Tell me, tell me about it.
0: Yeah. Um, so here in Jamaica, um, we've, we've been using open source technology, especially the government. Um, to drive new products. Um, and there, there was a recent announcement that was made. I'll be posting it in the chat in a few. But basically what they're doing is to drive the use of more open source technology to reduce the cost um, that, that the government um, is spending when they're actually focusing on technology in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, um, it's They have been doing it for quite some time. Um, There was a research done in 2016, if if I'm correct. Okay. And it was an open source research. And what they found was that they can drive the cost over um, quite a lot, actually, when they actually use open source technology. And so I find it to be a really interesting new. And some of the products that we actually have that uses open source technology are... Most of the government websites, um, those are built using either Drupal, WordPress, or some some versions of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a learning management system, the library learning management system, that's built um, on open source technology, similar to what Moodle uses. Um, and there, there there are quite a lot of products around um, the country, and and so this is a very good step in in that regard, and it came. Right after um, Munich, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing yeah. it correctly. Yep, yep. In Barcelona. Yep. Um, They're pushing for some source. and I just I just want to read um, one of the quotes that the Minister of um, Science and Technology. Okay. Um, his name is Honorable Andrew Weasley. What he said um, regarding he was basically making reference that uh, Microsoft, IBM, and other proprietary software vendors by saying. For a very long time, we have been confined by the strictures and high costs of the license regimes of proprietary software operating, and we will know, in keeping with the goals of the Vision 2030 plan, make the move to unleash the innovative capacity of our country by leading, by leading the way in the adoption of open source platforms. So that's just... One of the words from that wonderful article. giving so you
1: have an update on that? Yeah, that's. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Alex, for calling in and, and giving us an update on that. And you know, you are really lucky to have leaders in government that are actively thinking about those things, asking those kind of questions, and are willing to keep their minds open to those kinds of answers. Because if if our government, if if the if, if the entire U.S. government functioned like that, where uh where where we were you know, putting open source first and people's tax dollars first and stuff, I think we'd all agree we'd live in a much better world. so thank you very much for the for the call and you know alex i, I do now that i now that I, I hear your voice and I hear what you're talking about, I do remember speaking to you earlier and if you ever want to come on the program as a instead of a caller, if you want to come on as a guest and talk about what is going on in Jamaica, man, we'd love to have you just send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. dot and uh, Or if you want, you can call Customer Care uh, during business hours, 866-280-1433. Uh, that's all to Speed Technologies. And just call and say, hey, uh, Noah was said he'd like to have me as a guest. We'd love to have you and, and chat with you more. Brian is calling. Oh, Brian from Philadelphia. Brian, who won the gift card? Hey, welcome back to the program. Hey, how's it going, Noah? Pretty good. You decided what you're going to buy, huh?
2: Yeah, I got, well, so I've actually given some of the money back to you. Uh, you'll see that later on. Oh. I just made a donation to to you guys because I really do love the Ask Now show. Um, and then I uh, I actually run a small business, so I'm going to give um, a little bit of money. To, I'm going to put a little bit of it towards my wife to keep her happy. And then uh, i actually I'm going to reach out to a couple of my um, like church clients, and uh, I'm going to give the money to one of them.
1: Oh, good so. for you! I I like that. That's great. So it's it's a pay of forward kind of a thing.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah very much so um i I'm a finance person by by trade um and then a, a tech guy by night um and I've this small company that's been growing for the last like year pretty rapidly so um yeah i've i i I really want to try to reach out and branch out and help others. I just enjoy the feeling of like helping people it's like it's almost like a rush like yeah i get this this feeling of excitement every time. That I see somebody switch to, and it's, it's, what's amazing to me is when they see how much stuff that they can use that's free, like free as in freedom, like doesn't lock them in. Like the, one of my clients said to me the other day, Brian, I can't believe that I can just switch from Ubuntu to Mint and the Ubuntu people aren't going to get mad at me. Yeah, I right. Him, I, said, I said to the guy, I'm like, look, we've been, I said, you've been giving Ubuntu money for the last year and a half. So they're not angry that that you left because they got they got some money from you in the in the meantime. Now yep. he doesn't know that his money was actually coming through me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's, yeah. it's one of those things that like you know you pay it forward to other people, and um, that that's what I love about the Linux community.
1: Man, you—I couldn't have asked for a better. I couldn't have asked for a more ideal person to to have, uh, you know, luck of the draw. And it wasn't luck of the draw, by the way. It's githubcom slash technology slash show giveaway. If you want to audit the code and make sure we did it fairly, you can do that. But, but yeah, no, thank you very much, Brian, for calling back in and letting us know. And I, I, I think well, that's absolutely great.
2: There's one other, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, if you don't mind. No, please. So, I'm actually on my way right now to uh, my local Linux lug. If you are a Linux enthusiast and you're trying to get into to Linux and learn more, uh, the Linux lug is the best way to do it. Um, I've, I've only been running, I'm, I'm a newbie to Linux, I've only been using Linux for about eight years now, but mm-hmm. um, going to the Linux lug has been a game changer for me. Um, like I said, I have a finance background, so I don't really have an IT background, But the people at the Lug have been so helpful and have been so great in helping me and helping me grow. Um, And it's been great that I've been able to help them as well. Um, And it's one of the things I look forward to each month. Uh, And if you are new to Linux or even if you're an experienced Linux user that wants to help some new people out, um, the Linux Lugs are really, really awesome.
1: Yeah, we need to do an ep. I, I need to do an episode on lugs and, and feature some of them. Maybe we'll have you back in the program. You know, it's, 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 it's really refreshing to hear you say that because when I got started in Linux, there was nobody to help me and I looked for it and I didn't find it. And the communities that I got involved with online at the time were very crass and very um, unwelcoming. And it, and it, it, it's, it and it's interesting because I fought through that. Uh, and I, and part of it is just I have thick skin. Part of it is I don't really care what people, other people think. And part of it is I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fairly confident person to begin with. So it, all, all those things kind of added up to it. it really didn't matter for me. But looking back on it, I could see how that would be really off putting to somebody. So to hear people like yourself talk about those things so selfishly, it really, it really, it really exemplifies to me that I am part of the right community and it, this is why I like doing this show, and this is like I like being involved with you, with you people.
2: Yeah, I, when I first started with Linux, I just, I didn't know what I was doing, so I just said oh, I'll try the, the most popular distros in or, in alphabetical order from A to Z, and Arch was the first one I started with, and it was Jeez. a nightmare. Yeah, I bet. And when when I reached out when I reached out to the to the different people that were in like the community. I was like, hey, I need some help running Arch. And the person, the first person, like, responds to me says, stop running Arch. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that wasn't exactly the most motivating thing. But uh, eventually someone pointed me to Ubuntu, and I, I went from there. But, yeah, thank, thanks again. I'll, I'll get off the phone so you can get to the rest of the callers. But I really do appreciate all your help, and, um, yeah, I look forward to listening to the rest of the show.
1: Yeah, no worries. And thanks again for, uh, again, for being part of the uh, Ask Noah show community being in the group. Uh, we appreciate that stuff. And and again, I, and I said it before in the phone call, I'll say it again. It's people like you that, Participate in those communities that do these things that allow me to do the show and make the show what it is make the community what it is and make this a fun thing because it's you know I've, I've said numerous times I don't do it for the money I don't do it for the the, the airtime I, I do it because I like helping people and because I like being a part of this community uh, phone lines 1-855-450 NOAA that's 855-450-6624 the email live at ask Noah show Dot com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Excuse me. i will learn how to talk next, uh, next hour. Um, we're going to come back to the phone lines in just a second. I don't want to keep my guests waiting any longer. Uh, Ryan is joining me. I, I don't, don't want to say your, the name of your company, Ryan, because I don't want to throw you under the bus. But basically, Ryan, you reached out to me and said, you know, you were talking about how I have never heard of, uh, of a VPS being uh, compromised in, in, in such a severe way. And you said, I see it all the time.
3: Yeah, we've had a couple of customers over the past, I'd say, six months or so that have uh, been compromised by that same exact malware. A couple of them, we were not able to find out how they actually compromised the system, uh, because it was one management company that we were reselling to, that their dev test and prod environment got infected. So we think that, you know, they're individual development machines got compromised and then the code got pushed up to the VPS. But our other client that we just got finished cleaning up, they compromised um, PeopleSoft software. They were running, Hmm. it runs a really old version of Java and it was able to get in through the Tomcat user. And what it does is it goes in and modifies the cron tab to pull a JPEG down from a Russian IP. And then that JPEG is actually piped into bash. And then it pulls the script out of it and it deploys to slash var slash temp. So it mm. looks kind of like a, an actual file that should be there. But then where it gets interesting is depending on the vulnerability used to compromise the system it actually mimics uh, services that are normally running on the instance.
1: Okay. Now you yeah. you you work for a company that manages other people's VPS, is that right?
3: Correct. We resell, uh, or we purchase Amazon Web Services, and then we resell it out to clients as a managed cloud provider.
1: And in doing that, have how many times have you seen? What was it? Was it cryptocurrency mining exactly, or was it some other sort of exploitation?
3: Uh, it was actually crypto mining. Um, it it actually uh, probably cost this company close to a hundred thousand dollars over the last few months because um, what it was doing is it was maxing out the CPUs on these boxes and causing the auto scaling to kick in and start spinning up new instances. And it would then slowly move over to those new instances and just kind of keep going out. So it actually had like at 1.10 fairly large instances with maxed out CPUs.
1: And you've seen this not just on one on one instance, but you've seen this uh, repetitive, it sounds like.
3: Uh, correct. Uh, we actually were fighting it on one client for... I would say close to 3 months cuz we thought we'd get it cleaned up but we weren't 100% sure how it was getting on the the instances and then within a few days later they'd be infected again so it's the botnet is like keeping track of the IPs and websites that it's hitting to recheck for the same vulnerability.
1: Now, what is the process of going through uh, a suspected VPS to actually detect this stuff? And like, how does somebody know if their VPS has been infected? And what do they do about that?
3: So how we found it was our monitoring tools kept alerting for high CPU usage. So we would log in and look to see what's using up the CPU on this instance, because normally it'd run about 20 to 30% utilization. But we started noticing some boxes running at 100% CPU for hours on end. And we couldn't you know, could figure out why because looking at the services, they all looked like they should be running. Uh, for instance, one of the servers was actually the mining binary was named SSHD. So I logged into this box and I'm like, okay, why is SSH taking up 100% CPU? So I killed the process. It came down, logged off. Five minutes later, we got another alert for that same box that the CPU was maxed out, logged in, and SSHD was taking up the uh all of the CPU again. So I started digging around and searching the hard drive for SSHD and noticed there was a slash far slash temp slash SSHD. And it's like, wait a minute, SSHD does not live the binary does not live in that path. No. Yeah. Interesting. So then I, so then I started digging into the cron tab and looking and it's like, wait a minute. Why is this, you know, W getting a JPEG from this random IP address and piping it into SH. So then we started digging into the IP, find it's a, a Russian based IP and then start digging through the var slash temp folder and find config files pointing to a crypto wallet where it was, you know, sending what it had found.
1: Interesting. Well, I tell you what, your clients are lucky to have you and lucky to have somebody that is that involved and that dedicated enough to start noticing this stuff, go back in and, and figure out what's going on. Because I, I mean, to you know, I, we, I, we work in the managed service industry as well. We don't, quite get that involved unless we're asked to, but you know, uh, if if we're managing a server for somebody unless they specifically, it, you know and part of it is what they pay for, but unless they specifically ask us to be monitoring certain stuff if they run their CPU usage up, we just assume that they're running something on the CPU. I mean, and we've got some clients that do some chemical calculations and stuff, and they they do run very high CPU for a long time. So that wouldn't be necessarily out of the ordinary, but good on you for catching that stuff. And, uh, yeah, what I thought, what I had never heard of and I'd never met anyone that had, had, had actually been affected by a, you know, basically hacked and then crypto mined and and here you are and you've seen it numerous times and you have a process down to find this identify it and then uh, get rid of it and you have been successful in mitigating it at, since that point like now that you know what you're looking for and and you have a process down I would assume all, all of that has led to keeping that uh, the the uh, crypto mining off of your clients
3: machines yeah so far uh it's been about 5 weeks or so now and we haven't seen it come back up on any of our clients Uh, I originally found it the first time back in June and then I'm the one that actually wrote documentation for the company for the other techs to what to look for and uh, how to try and mitigate this in the future and mainly it's just keeping Java patched as far as we could tell Sure. and then uh, for instance that we have a couple clients that do prediction uh, algorithms for insurance companies. Uh, I can't mention the names, but they actually use upwards of 100,000 core hours on a night. So we wow. actually have to, we have to be pretty diligent on keeping that under control because they're expecting, you know, they need this rather large workload completed within a certain set of time. And if any one of those execute nodes gets compromised, it could really affect their budgeting and stuff for the next day and stuff like
1: that. Sure. Sure. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for coming on the program. We really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about what you're doing uh, and, uh, and you know, and follow you on social media, that kind of thing, do you have a, do you have a place for him to go?
3: Uh, at Dabble, D-A-B-B-I-L-L on Twitter. And then I'm usually poking around either Discord or the IRC chat most of the time.
1: Okay. Are you in the, te- are you in the Telegram group at all or not so much? I am as well. You are. Okay. Well, cool. So they, they can find you in all three places. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the program. We appreciate it.
3: Uh, no problem. Have a good show.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. Again, open phone lines this hour. one eight five five four five zero noah That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at com. Wendy's calling from Idaho. Hey, Wendy, welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for calling in. How can we help?
0: Well, I would like to switch from GNOME over to KDE. Mm. One of the functions that I use all the time on GNOME is caffeine. And more specifically, the fact that if I have a window that I go full screen, it disables the power management settings I have. Sure. And then once that window is no longer full screen, then power management settings go back on. And I'd like to know how to do that on KDE. I've searched all this week and cannot
3: figure that out.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for you. I uh, I when your when your question came in, I I don't use caffeine myself, and I've only been on KDE for about a week. So I poked the the, the fine folks in the K D E uh, users group on Telegram, and uh, they don't seem to have an answer. They um the the one guy that did get back to me said that um, there is some active development, uh, and so he thinks that there's a good chance that they could get it to work. Um, but if it's not working at the moment, um, nobody really has a great answer, and I, I'll keep an eye on that because here's what i suspect wendy i suspect that that there are a lot of people that use kde that want to achieve that same thing but they do it with some other thing like there's some plasmoid or some widget or some other application that they use and it probably does the exact same thing on kde and i just haven't found it and i'll give you an example of of how of where that happened to me is i use guake for just about everything when i went over to kde first thing i tried to do was install guake and it was not working at all the window didn't show up right, the, the little shortcut key would like bring it down and it would look all funny and I couldn't type and it just nothing worked right. And then I found out there is a a a, a program called your gwake your quake yo quake, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's basically Gwake. And it does the exact same thing as gwake except it's specifically designed for kde and so it works really really well and that's what i've been using and i haven't had a problem and it's just a matter of kind of shifting to kde and uh, the more i use kde the better i'll be able to answer those kinds of questions but unfortunately i don't have an answer for you right at the moment chat jj4884 in the chat room says we might check to see if there's a snap available so i'll uh, i'll take a look here uh in just a little bit and we'll see if i can find a a snap for that program and actually yeah it does look like there is a snap version of caffeine so uh, wendy i'll throw a link to that snap in the show notes and uh, after the show you can you can pull those down uh just go to podcast.asnoashow.com and uh you can you can, and i'll have that link for you uh and we could try to install it from the snap version and i'll try that on my i have a test machine on the bench at home and I'll i'll give that a shot and see if caffeine works because that would be uh, that would be a really useful program for a lot of people. Like I said, it doesn't really fit my use case. I just shut all that power management stuff off because I'm on my computer all the time. I never, there's never a time when I don't want it to go to sleep or when I do want it to go to sleep. Yeah, that's it. But, uh, it's definitely a, a popular use case. Again, phone lines 1 Noah. 450 That's 455 855 450 6624. The email live at com. I have an email here from, uh, Ali, and Ali uh, writes in and says, Hi, Noah, I really appreciate the show and all the work that you put in. I live in Iran, and Internet is far slower and more expensive than the rest of the world. Not as slow as dial-up, but very expensive. Here you pay about five fifty cents for a gigabyte, a speed 16 megs max, and many people use 4 to 8 meg services, so not really the size of the package. Not really the size of package here is the matter to me. In a traditional packaging system, package A needs package B. Uh, dependency, first package manager checks if already installed. If installed, then it downloads A. If not, A downloads B, so on and so forth. Um, so his question is, from what I understand with snaps and how they work, maybe I'm wrong, but correct me, is the app and all of its dependencies are packaged into the snap package and you download it and works on any distro. Is that sacrificing top meant? Is that sacrificing top mentioned advantage? Should I download all libs even if I have? So I I think what his question is, is is that advantageous to download snaps is particularly from the standpoint of your having to re-download all of the libraries that you may have already downloaded the first time. And the, the answer to that is is yes, you are probably, well, not probably, you are undoubtedly going to end up downloading multiple copies of the same thing. Uh, and so it probably will occupy a little bit more space and cost you a little bit more to download. But here is why, for for three reasons, I, I say it's still a good trade-off. Uh, reason number one is the, that storage, and I understand that the, in the context of your email, Ali, that it, it, data is very expensive for you to move it and i and i get that and 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 certainly there are going to be fringe cases where you know if you're in we worked with a a group that was in africa and they were using like a a um, satellite hotspot kind of thing and uh, data was very expensive there too so certainly it's there's there's going to be uh, fringe cases but the vast majority of people that have systems are not having to worry about uh, a limit on their data so to speak and if there is a limit it's wide enough that an extra couple of megs isn't a huge deal uh, 50 cents per gigabyte is that what he said uh yeah 50 cents per gigabyte that is that is pricey Oof. but um but i mean even still i mean most of my snaps are you know i uh, i can look here but i i don't i think they're just a couple hundred megs um and so the the what you get for that extra storage space and that extra Uh, data that you're going to have to pay to transfer is the libraries that, that if you have, let's say you have two programs, program a and program B and program E requires version one of library files and program B requires version two of library files. Other than Snap packages there is no real best answer because if you use the older versions of the library, then program two is held hostage to any of the software vulnerabilities or library vulnerabilities that are found in the you know the libraries of of you know of uh, version one that package a requires and on on the on the flip side, if you use the Lib- libraries version two, that package B requires, then then program A might not run correctly. And so you run into this weird thing. You can literally have a system, and I, I've had it happen on Targos, uh, where I will have two different programs, and I have to pick between one because of of this, this library issue. And it, it actually frequently bit me with uh, Lightworks, because despite what we all want to believe about... Programs just coming out, at, you know, as soon as they're ready and they just willy nilly launch them into the oblivion and then distros package them up and ship. And that's actually not how a lot of software distribution works when that is probably true for the majority of open source uh, software. They just push out the next package. But when you start incorporating uh, proprietary software, particularly proprietary software that is made by a large company, software like TeamViewer, software like Lightworks, uh, these companies target specific distributions and they target specific versions of distributions. And so if you have, uh, if, 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 if your edit share and you're making Lightworks, you're targeting 1604 and you will target 1804. And so they count on a specific set of libraries and a specific set of environment variables and a specific set of all sorts of things to exist on 1804. And so when you take that over to Entargos, which just says, let's get the newest of everything, you run into some problems. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's, that's a reality of and a decision that you need to make as a computer user: What software are you running, and where does that software? What What does that software expect of your system? Well, when it comes to snap packages, and you could say the same thing about flat packs or app image, it, it it removes all of that, and you essentially build these little tiny virtual, and they they are literally little virtual hard drives that run on your computer, and they contain everything you'd need to run that specific program. And that is a really advantageous way. I think, to approach software because now the edit share only has to target that particular snap container thing. And if you want to run that on Ubuntu 18.04, great. If you want to run it on 16.04, great. You want to run it on 14.04, excellent. You want to run it on the Targos, fantastic. You want to run it on Fedora, outstanding. Doesn't matter what the base operating system is. As long as SnapD exists, it creates that little virtual container. It has all the little files that it needs and that program can run and for a long time, we have struggled with a, a, the ability to get software on Linux. And I was watching a discussion that was happening, I think it was on Reddit earlier this week. And uh, somebody asked the question, why did Linux take off with such a fierce fire on the servers, but we still haven't really made a lot of headway with desktop operating systems? And the answer to me seems pretty simple. Software availability. I mean, if you ask 90% of people why they don't use Linux on the desktop, they'll say because their apps aren't there. And when you start to go to software manufacturers and say, well, why don't you target Linux? They will tell you that it's very difficult to target Linux. And the software vendors that do target Linux, they often are very rarely thanked or or praised for their efforts. They're usually chastised for picking the wrong for picking the wrong club, so to speak, and I watched this happen firsthand when EditShare came to Linux. We had no professional-grade editing video editing software that existed prior to EditShare coming on to Linux. We had Caden Live, we have OpenShot; those are great editors. They do a lot of things really well. They don't do multi-camera. Uh, editing they don't do live multi-camera editing and switching uh, they don't do a collaborative editing like there's just there's all of these per- the, the color grading a bunch of things the ability to interface with hardware consoles so like for example our color system at ultispeed Technologies we it has like three little trackballs uh and it's in like this little um I don't know board console thing that it's a custom made thing specifically for these uh for this for this color control and you can adjust you can color grade all of the video and that's what we use on the system and that works with edit share's lightworks it does not work with any of the known software that existed on linux so if we were going to do professional grade video editing uh, we were going to have to use another platform and of course we're just not going to do something if we can't do it on linux so that just fundamentally left us out of the game so that was a big deal when when edit share brought lightworks to linux and what i watched was they put a post up and said you know, at the time, I think it was uh, 14.04. Here is, uh, here is Lightworks. It's available for 14.04. We're really proud of it. Give it a shot. See how you like it. You'll notice that it does all the same things that it does on the Windows version and the Mac version. We're really proud of that. In fact, we did the Linux version before we did the Mac version. We're really proud of that, too. And, uh, like, the top 15 comments were, I'm not using it if it doesn't run on Fedora. I'm not using it if it doesn't run on OpenSUSE." And that is so, I would imagine anyway, that would be so frustrating to a company that's already taking a chance on this operating system that does not have a large user base by comparison to Windows or Mac OS, um, and so, well, maybe to Mac OS, but certainly not to, 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 to Windows. And, um, you know, as as you kind of watch that stuff play out, you're like, come on, guys. I mean, this is, it's not perfect. And I, you know, I'm a Fedora user, so my main workstation at the time and now it's running KDE Neon, but at the time was running Fedora, so I couldn't use Lightworks on my really powerful computer. I had, to, I had to put a separate machine up just to run it. But it's the first step. And, of course, now EditShare has come back around, and they officially support Fedora as an RPM-based distro. They su- su- specifically support Ubuntu, so they've been a good community member, and they have made progress and made things better. Uh, and so we should be thankful for that. But it is frustrating to me to watch that happen over and over and over again. So – You know, we'll dive into snaps. I'm going to get somebody like Alan Pope on the program, or Martin Wimper, somebody who can explain it from start to finish better than I can. But snaps are snap packages are a really a really good thing and really should be embraced by the Linux community. And uh, I've uh, they're not perfect; had a couple rough edges, but I have been able to run software that I fundamentally couldn't run on my system before. And Canonical is working night and day. Just above and beyond anything that could ever be expected from any company to get big names to port their software and package your software into Snaps for you. So you should be really thankful. If you're a person that wants to run Linux on the desktop, Snaps are your friend. Snaps are your friend. And so is Electron, by the way. But that's a a discussion for a different time. Again, open phones, one 450 noah that's one 450 6624 the email live at com. The past, I, I would say about the past uh, five days, I have been like inundated with people contacting me about uh, new cloud-connected technology, like technology that goes more invasive than ever, and um, it's, it, 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 well... The the two big ones that came to my I actually started before this, but they're not that interesting. The, the, the two that really stood out to me is uh, Apple launched their HomePod this week. And so a bunch of people are getting them and they're unpacking them and playing with them and saying, this is a really cool product and it does a really good job and it sounds really good, sounds better than we expected. And the potential for this is amazing. And it was Chris, actually, that pointed it out to me. And he said, you know. It's amazing. It really is. Like the technology and the thing, it's really incredible. However, it's also equally scary because if Google gets its hands, and they will, when Google gets their hands on this piece of device that can play music at incredibly loud volumes and still have microphones that can capture even the smallest of sounds, you turn that with a always-listening, omnipresent device that's inside of your house, and the data that you can collect from that is absolutely terrifying. And uh, then about, uh, uh, well, sh- shortly before that, the thing that kind of kicked this whole thing off is, as some of you know, my dad is a physician. And um, he is the kind of physician that likes to push the envelope. If I'm the guy that pushes the envelope with technology and I, don't, I, I buck the norm when it comes to the technology world and I, I use what I think the technology of the future is going to be rather than the technology of today, which is, of course, Linux. Um, my dad does the same thing in a lot of ways in medicine. So he opened the first cardiac cath lab here in Grand Forks, North Dakota. They brought, flew him in, brought him in to the hospital specifically to do, to take on that task because, there were, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, however long it was, uh, there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of people doing these things and he understood he's a ham radio operator. And so he understands the technology and he has a passion about the technology and of course about his profession as a, as a medical professional. And so he kind of went in and said, we can use computers in this way and we can use technology in this way and we can use digital technology that way and and we can do all these things and 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 we can push the envelope forward and 35 years later he's still doing the same thing he's still trying to push the envelope forward and he's attracted the attention of a lot of pharmaceutical companies that are coming to him with breaking cutting edge technology that isn't widely deployed other places in the country, and he's had a chance to try some of these technologies out. And they ask him to be uh, one of the, you know some of the f- one of the first physicians to implement a lot of this new technology. And one of those uh, pharmaceutical companies, and I did talk to my dad about this before I came on the program to see that I could I could talk about this on the air. He says I can. Uh, is St. Jude Medical and St. Jude Medical? If you. I think I can say this because I'm not affiliated with them or uh, or the, the medical industry, so it doesn't matter what I say, but I have seen what other pharmaceutical companies offer, what the competitors offer as far as implanted devices, implanted cardiac defibrillators, implanted cardiac monitors, stuff like that. St. Jude has always been at the head of the curve. And uh Our rep, Scott Wareham, is a fantastic guy. I'm I'm proud to call him one of my friends. Uh, He's always pleasant to talk to, very, very well-informed, knows his stuff. And he was showing me a new piece of technology that they have come out with. Now, just a couple of uh, months ago, he was showing me the latest thing that they had, which was this device that you put inside of your home, and it pairs to your pacemaker or your cardiac defibrillator or your cardiac monitor that's implanted inside of your device, or your body, and then it connects either to Wi-Fi or through a POTS telephone, or they have a little LTE dongle and will transmit live data back into the cloud, into their system, and then my dad can log in through a web interface and generate PDF reports or get alerts about the patient, all of that stuff is happening. Really crazy cool stuff to a certain degree. But this week he came and he showed me the latest piece of technology that they have. And it is this, and I have it here, well, it's a demo, obviously not the real thing, but it is a, it looks like a, I'll, I'll tweet a picture if you guys want to see it so you can see exactly what this looks like. It's very difficult to describe, but it basically looks like a little flash drive, a, flat, a very thin flash flash drive, and what they do is they make a small incision in the fourth intercostal space, and they take this device that kind of looks like a – almost like a plastic syringe except it's flat. And they stick this plastic device into the into the chest cavity and push on the plunger, and the plunger presses this small little USB flash drive-looking thing into your body. And then they pull the uh, – Syringe-like thing out and put a couple of sutures on it and that's good to go. Now, to put this in perspective for you, all of the other implanted devices that I'm aware of that my dad puts inside of people involves him putting wires into various parts of the heart and cutting a pocket open in the chest to put this actual device uh, and, you know, that's modern day technology. Years ago, they actually, I believe, had to cut your whole chest open to, to do a lot of this stuff. So it, it's it's come a long ways. But now they've literally gotten to the point where you can make like a half inch incision and put this little this little USB looking thing in inside of you. And I asked him, I said, well, what does it do? And it does all sorts of uh, biometric monitoring and, 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 and takes measurements and stuff of your heart and how your heart's beating and all of this stuff. And you pair it with an app that you download from the Google Play Store. You download the Merlin at at Home app on your Android phone and pair it to this Bluetooth, like regular Bluetooth that pairs to this device that you implant inside of your body, that was they implant inside of your body. And then it collects all of this data, transmits it over Bluetooth to your Android smartphone, and then sends it up to the cloud. And when I heard him talking about that and explaining that... The geek inside of me is like, this is really cool. I think this is a really fantastic thing. I think this is a lot of potential. And, you know, certainly if it saves somebody's life, I think that's really neat. But I have to ask, is this going too far? Have we gone too far? Like, we're pairing our smartphones with our bodies. So I started to do some research on this. And I started to look in to w- w- how many people are doing this? How many people are, are injecting devices into their bodies And pairing it with their technology and then storing that information on the cloud. And I came across some pretty scary things. First of all, it does – now, okay, there's a disclaimer here. As it relates to St. Jude Medical, they are governed, of course, by all of the medical stuff because it's a medical device and all that. However, however, the vast majority of these biometric uh, – Computers that calc- that uh, crunch all of this data and send it up to the cloud are not governed by any government body. The data belongs to whatever the company that sells it to you. so if you buy a Fitbit or if you buy a, uh, a, uh, a you know an Apple device or whatever, all of that stuff belongs to apple now or, or, or Fitbit or whoever or Google or whoever else Now some of the devices don 't they claim that they don 't transmit it up to the cloud so there's i mean that's that 's worth being taken into consideration but At the end of the day, the legal ramifications are that data is owned by the company and they have no requirement to delete it and they have no requirements on who they can or can't share that stuff with. And uh, and so as I as I dug into this further, I found that there is an entire community of people that are injecting technology into their bodies. There are people that are injecting uh, like eight megahertz RFID chips. It's common to do it right between the thumb and the index finger, and they'll unlock doors or uh, unlock their phone with this RFID chip that is inserted into their hand, and they call it biohacking. And uh, and the, this com- online community of biohackers, they they find all these different technologies and a lot of it is do it yourself because there's obviously not a lot of mainstream support from the medical community, except highly forward thinking companies like this St. Jude medical that I was talking about. But the, um, but the, the, these, these biohackers research and build technology that you can put into your body. There was uh, one example that a guy, he was out with his grandfather and uh, they were shooting shotguns in his backyard. And the guy, wasn't holding the shotgun correctly and inadvertently um, one way or another damaged his eye and it had to be removed. And so he has an empty eye socket and uh, he is a film producer. So he, uh, part of this biohacking community that I've, I've now started to get involved with. It, it, it built this camera that is battery powered and has a tiny little micro SD card, uh, well, there's two parts of it. It has a little transmitter, and then on the receiver has a little micro SD card and a and a screen and all that, and a recorder. And um, he he inserts this this eyeball that looks very much like a human eye into his empty socket, but it's actually a camera that he can live stream and record with. And so he was saying, as a documentary filmmaker, the most valuable thing you can have is the ability to record somebody or stream somebody without their knowledge, and as I'm watching this happen, as I'm watching people biohack themselves, I am, I mean, I'm awestruck in a lot of ways because as a geek, I think it's really cool. I think some of this stuff is really interesting. I think it would be nice if I could go and capture everything that I see. And later on this week in user error, we're going to talk about this. Rikai and I talk about how this kind of technology can be abused. How far is too far? And that's what I want to ask you, the Ask Noah Show community. How far is too far? Would you inject a Bluetooth device into your chest and pair it with your Android smartphone and have it send the data up to the cloud and then have your doctor have access to your body, at least the statistics of it, I- anytime? Is that, Is that a good thing or is that too far? And I don't have a great answer for that. Like, and and I, I trust my dad and I very much trust Scott. And they do these things in the best interest of the, of the patient, no doubt. But as a person who is has always traditionally been at the cutting edge of technology, I, I draw the line far before we're pairing my, my Android smartphone with, my, uh, with this injectable device. I draw the line at putting smart speakers in my house. Like, that's even too far for me. And so I just want to know. So if you guys have an opinion on that, I'd love to hear it. Tweet me at Show. Send an email to live at AskNoahShow.com call in uh, probably getting we're running down on the on the bottom of the hour or the top of the hour uh, this week but you know call in next week eight, five, five, four, five, zero, six, six, two, four. i want to know how far is too far who would do this and if you would do this what kind of things have you done and if there are any biohackers if you found me on the bio uh, on some of these forms that i've been on and you see me on there ping me on there but you can also just if you if you're a person that biohacks i'd love to talk to you uh I, I found another thing. We don't have really time to <clears throat> to get into the article, but it's uh, about parents who are injecting these um, RFID chips into their children that then pair with a device and transmit the child's location. And so, if the child is ever kidnapped, it can it can transmit a panic signal and pair to a or I don't I don't know exactly how it works. If it connects to a uh, if it has to be in range of a smartphone or if it just connects to a Wi Fi, I would imagine the radio isn't strong enough to to connect to a to a Wi Fi access point, but. But parents are injecting their children with these things, and that I'm I'm inclined to say I think it's too far. But you let me know. AskNoWaShow.com, click on the contact button or the email button, and and let me know. I'd like to know, has this gone too far? Blogs.neon.kde.org, headline, Hiding Neon LTS Edition. With the new Plasma LTS came an update to KDE Neon LTS edition, and lots of people are asking which edition to use and what the difference is. This caused us to review the purpose of the LTS, and as a result, we've hidden the LTS from the downloads page. The only difference of the LTS edition is that it stays on Plasma's LTS release, but apps and libraries still get updates. This doesn't fit well with the main use case of an LTS, which is it only gets bugs and fixes and no new features. Further, we test neon lts edition less than any other edition so it's likely we'll miss more problems with what the world would come to expect now when this first came out i forwarded it to chris and i said check this out Uh, and he asked me so what do you think about that and i said you know i don't really want to manage my computer if i'm being honest that's you know it's the old saying the the shoemaker's kids have no shoes i don't want to manage my own shoes or well my own computer I would actually rather it just work. And so, so far, and I'm only a week into it, so I mean, take this for what it's worth. The KDE Neon community has proved to me so far that they manage their, their distro and their software packages and test to a degree that I never have to really worry about things. And so I trust them. So if they tell me, you don't need the LTS, use this other one. I take that at face value. I'm perfectly okay with it. So just a small little thing, if you're on KDE, apparently don't go for the LTS, I'm going to be transitioning off the LTS, every system I install forward will not be an LTS. Chris and I had a rather in-depth discussion on smart speakers, and I'm going to be honest with you, they're not for me, if I'm buying a speaker cabinet, I want it to have a positive and a negative so I can pair it with the amp that I want to use, but I have been, I understand that they're a reality and uh, we've been working with a, a number of providers to make it so that you can just tell Alexa to play the Ask Noah show, and she'll play the live show. And then if the live show isn't on, then she'll play reruns. And that it just it's not working. Like there's really there's no way that I I we can find to do it without having to specially write a skill. And um, so we just we accept that, and uh, we're going to take the ultra speed the ultra speed uh, solution of of finding cost cost saving solutions that don't. Sacrifice quality, but get the job done. And next week, we are going to make it so that you can stream the show live on your Amazon Alexa. We'll have more details how to do that later this week. So make sure to keep an eye on the Twitter sphere. Did you guys know this show is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit us online: podcast at ask, asknoahshow dot com. While you're there, on the Ask Noah Show dashboard, make sure that uh, you. Let us know if there's a way we can improve the show. Head over to asknoashow dot com slash better and let us know how we can make the show better. Join the ongoing discussion at telegram dot dot com, and uh, of course to get the latest, follow us on Twitter at Show. Oh, and real quick, before we run out of time, I got just a couple minutes. So we can get through this real quick. The Ask Noah Show Distro Elimination Challenge. Uh, this week we pitted KDE Neon versus Linux Mint. And Linux Mint won, 54% to 45%. Again, that was not what I expected, but we report as they come out this week, we are going to pit Entargos versus Manjaro. And I'm interested to see this because I've never really understood the, the uh, appeal of Manjaro myself, but I know that there's a lot of you out there that are using it. And so I, I'm interested to see which one would you guys choose? If you had to choose one or the other, w- which is the better one? For me, Manjaro always seemed like it's, trying to thread a needle that doesn't exist like you want the latest version of linux you want the latest version of software but you also want it to be like super 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 stable and not break and it feels like that's kind of the market that ubuntu or the you know the the point releases of ubuntu come in so i've never i i guess i've never really followed it myself but hey you know, to each his own. Let's find out. Make sure to check out this week's episode of User Error that comes out on Friday. More information, jupiterbroadcasting.com. Choose User Error from the drop-down menu. The Ask Noah show continues next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Vox Telsis for providing our phone system. Ben, our producer, Simon, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor, will hand you off to Harm Reduction Report, coming up next on the all-new Independent Talk eighty-eight point three FM.